and welcome to episode number 168 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me today is best-selling author Liza Palmer. Liza is currently working in a new area at BuzzFeed, and so she took a few minutes out of her day to talk to me about writing fiction, writing scripts, romantic comedies, and her former job writing for Pop-Up Video, which, if you remember that show, it was awesome. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of New York Times best-selling author Jennifer Ashley's A Mackenzie Clan Gathering. Return to the tumultuous and passionate world of the Mackenzie Clan as a family celebration is shaken by an unexpected danger on sale November 17th. And we have a sponsor for the transcript this month. The podcast transcript was sponsored by Jenna Sutton, author of the Riley O'Brien and Company series, published by Berkeley and available in print and ebook. The second novel in the series, Coming Apart at the Seams, is available for pre-order now and will be released on December 1st. In Coming Apart at the Seams, pro football player Nick Priest is trying to win a second chance with denim heiress Tegan O'Brien. You can read an excerpt at jennasutton.com or connect with Jenna at facebook.com slash jennasuttonauthor or on Twitter at jsuttonauthor. The music you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. Yes, this is my favorite holiday album as someone who doesn't listen to a lot of holiday music. That's really saying something. I'll have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and where you can find all of these most excellent tunes for your very own. And now, without any further delay, on with the podcast. got myself a tiny little room you're having a very important meeting in there uh, that's what i'm that's what i put on the calendar look buzzfeed very, i'm having a meeting very important meeting i need to look at kardashian photos and i need to do it alone. that's right stat, stat <laughs> and cat and cat videos i need to do it right now yep. hey if there's mm-hmm. no better reason to isolate yourself in a conference room no. Particularly at BuzzFeed. No, exactly. It's our bread and butter. <laughs> <laughs> so would you please, so people know who you are, introduce yourself and tell us what you're doing at BuzzFeed right now, aside yes. from Kardashian cat videos. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am, uh, I, oh God, Liza Palmer, <laughs> uh, novelist. Uh, I write for TV and film, but presently um, I am at BuzzFeed Scripted. I am the head writer at BuzzFeed Scripted. Um, what is BuzzFeed Scripted? BuzzFeed is trying to get into more scripted content. Um, so we are we have a writer's room. We've assembled a writer's room and are now kind of creating um, longer form, um, more kind of conventional, traditional scripted content. So television shows, um, features, that kind of thing. Right. I know. I know. Yep. So is there anything particular that you're working on that we're going to see soon? Or are you not allowed to talk about the, the Kardashian cat show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's like a billion dollar idea. So does, does, uh, does the, do the Kardashians yeah. have a cat? Like if they had a cat, that would be like the most well-paid cat. Pretty much just the most luxuriated on. Yeah, exactly. The billion dollar cat. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, we are doing content um, for um, Verizon's new plant platform, Go90. Um, so it's this whole thing about relationship goals and kind of um, kind of a love actually 10 episode arc of these two people who meet in an elevator and they kind of have to kind of come together in the end, but it's all their whole entire group of friends that are threaded together somehow. So that's been, it's my dream to bring romantic comedies to every single place that I can. So that was a fun thing to work on. You know, what's funny. I had an interview with, um, with Julie James and she was talking about how there hasn't been good romantic comedies no. in the movies for years now. Yep, yep. And we're just getting good romantic comedy contemporary romances. But now, you know, now we, we get to have more scripted contemporary comedies? Yeah, yeah. Because I think maybe because it's, it's the golden era of, of television. I think television is actually bringing it back with, you know, the Mindy Project and My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and yeah. all this kind of stuff that's kind of celebrating the romantic comedy and not for nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm going to place it firmly on the, on the feet at, at the feet of that women aren't being able to write and direct these things. So of course they're not, they haven't been done right for years because they've been written and directed by men. Um, you don't say. Right. Um, so now that it's kind of going back into kind of the female gaze and that females are being able to write and direct them, I think they're going to, we're going to see a huge uptick in their quality and, how good they are as opposed to how fantastical and hollow they are. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it is, it is an audience that I am 100% in. Right. Who isn't? 
And yeah. yes, and also that the, the projects that are helmed by women and written mm-hmm. by women and directed That's by right. women, they like, they make money. Yeah, what? But it's the same thing. It's like, oh, after Bridesmaids hit, you know, I was talking about this, that it's like, oh, now there's going to be these, these great ensemble comedies. And it's like, no, all that meant was that Paul Feig got to do another comedy starring Melissa McCarthy. You know, that Bridesmaids only begot Spy. So, and even now it's like Ghostbusters is coming out, but look at all the flack that's gotten. So I cannot wait for that movie. Mm-hmm, me neither. I have no. a t-shirt from, uh, from T-Fury that is a sort of tw- um, art deco style drawing of a female Ghostbuster. And it says, when someone asks you if you are a goddess, you say yes. <laughs> that's and, amazing. Yes. And every time I read it, or excuse me, every time I wear it, yeah. people come up to me and go, oh my God, where did you get that? Right. Or you're ruining my childhood, which... No, nobody has told me they're ruining their childhood. So they only say that anonymously online? (laughs) Yes, they only say that anonymously online. That's one of the things I think that is really troubling for getting normal, balanced, emotionally fluent, kind dudes to understand how bad it is to identify as female on the internet. Right. Like when I start to show my husband and his friends some of the flack that I get for, you know, writing about romance novels. Right. They're like, wait, really? People – I'm like, yes. Yeah. And they share a chromosome in common with you. Yeah, exactly. And it's not something that I can just – oh, just get, just ignore it. I no. think that's like the whole thing. It's like, no, that this is this is actually an issue. And um, me ignoring it is not the solution to the whole thing. And I'm not – it is real. And I think that's the other part. It's like it's online abuse, which – you know, anyway, it's a whole entire conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm to set up another hour just, for that. That's I'm not exactly, a romantic I'm just, comedy. I'm just sitting here like shaking my head and like rolling my eyes, of course, because it's like, it's just so, it's like, yeah, because the amount of people that posted that, you know, Ghostbusters, the all-female cast of Ghostbusters was ruining their childhood was just, and I think it's the, I think it's the part where it's like, these are people that you know that are in your life and you're like, God, do I want to know that about you? Do I want to know that you like casually think these kind of really terrible things and ugh, Yeah. It's very frustrating. It is very frustrating. So you've written for BuzzFeed for a little while now. Yeah. And you also write book things. Yes. I write book things. Yeah. I'm working on book seven now. Dude, Um, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And this is the first time that they've, they've, uh, have been kind of two trains running. So that's going to be fun. Um, it's been interesting to have a full-time job in writing as well as writing, novels which has not made been pretty I'm, I must confess it has not been pretty um you mean that like trucks of money have not backed up to your house oddly no and you know come to find out like my house isn't cleaning itself what? Um, I know dinner isn't being made by you know little little um fervent hands um yeah and and I you know the the gym and the workouts just they don't happen by themselves either which i think is really really disconcerting and it God. turns out that eating my feelings and not getting much sleep is is i don't know i don't know if you've heard this but maybe it's kind of going to be a new headline is it's kind of unhealthy um, no yeah yeah so Shoot. <laughs> yeah so i don't know i don't know but but i think what's interesting is that before when i didn't have the buzzfeed job there was kind of this other cuz i think the 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 thing that nobody tells you about being in publishing is 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 there's a big kind of feast or famine thing. And it's yes. a feast or famine thing, not only finance, financial, but it's also kind of emotional and spiritual and creative as well. Like you go through these kind of glacial periods, these eras of kind of creating stuff and learning how to kind of survive from one project to the next. That's why you kind of start having different projects, simply because your mind needs to not look at one pot boiling. Of course. So this getting this job has actually really helped because I think it – it has given me something to the low grade stress of just kind of being feast and famine, feast or famine, sorry, hilarious, um, uh-huh. has morphed into more of a kind of like a hard day's work exhaustion, which I'm actually kind of comfortable with um, in, in more ways than just kind of being stressed about when that pot of water is going to boil, um, which is, tends to be what publishing is about half the time. The thing about the, the, the feast or famine is that, you know, you, you, you get the money a little bit in the beginning. Yep. And then you get a little bit when you hand it in. Yep. And then that's, yep. that's it. You never know what may happen next. No. And I think it's, and, and I think there, it is the two things. Like when I, when I first sold my, my first book back in 2003, I was working at this, at this bankruptcy law office. And it that was, was no, Conversations with a Fat Girl, right? Conversations with a Fat Girl came out in 05, if you'll remember, which those years are very far apart. Um, so. No, wow. Uh, hilarious. Um, Math. So, yeah. Yeah. What? 
Um, so I sold it for um, Amy Einhorn, bought it for $10,000. And so I was like, $10,000. I, like, I am wealthy. Yeah. And I did the whole thing that we all dream about, quit in a blaze of glory. I was like, I quit. And of course, I get to the Chevron station, not a block away from my job. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Um, $10,000 in half is like on, you know, you get it upon signing and those contracts come like maybe three to six months later. So even that, and the check doesn't come till much later. And then you get it upon approval, like upon final. And this book went through eight drafts and it took two years to get to, to conversations to, to get to publication. So I had a total of about $7,500 over two years. So I had to, of course, find a job as a yard aide at my niece's elementary school just to make ends meet because... I was really, really dumb. <laughs> it was like, I'm going to do that. I quit. Ha, 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 ha. And then just this dawning, like, haunting a minute. of, huh, so this is going to last me one month. Um, and yeah. So you so. would advise not making <laughs> that decision if someone else finds themselves in that position. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely not an impulsive career to be in. Um, it's, <laughs> oh, you don't it's, say. Yeah, exactly. It's a very glacial, thoughtful, almost, um, <laughs> uh, what is it? Crazy makingly slow, um, career. So yeah, do not do anything. How about this? Do not do anything in a blaze of glory. We always say my friends and I have this thing where we want to make an app called ribs, which is just run it by someone because it's just, just run it by someone. Just, and we want to make an app for like, should I do this? Should I? Nope. Just run it by someone. And that I think is that's a really the, good idea. Mm -hmm. And you would, you would get a lot of people using yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. So I think publishing in is in itself is just kind of a ribs it um, entire career because you should just run everything by someone and never, never be impulsive. Yes. <laughs> just, just, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't work. Don't send that tweet. Don't do it. Just, just say it to a girlfriend over dinner. Just don't, nope, don't do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's talk for a minute about your books because I have seen you speaking at two Surrey International Writers Conferences. Yes, even though it is a conspiracy that we are always at the same time. And yes, never, our panels yes. are always scheduled opposite each yeah. other. So we only yeah. see each other later when there's drinking. That's right. Which, which is I'm, a fine I'm, conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> So the one that I see everyone talk about is Nowhere But Home. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the book that kind of exploded for you? Like everyone was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And you know what was interesting? It was, it, you know, it's all those things that um, you wish would happen, which is, you know, Conversations was really, uh, was a big debut. Um, and because it had, it was, you know, Amy Einhorn had started a new thing with, um, she was doing kind of smart chiclet, which is yep. so head pattingly terrible. But anyway. So they, there was a huge push behind it. It was the debut. It was the launch book for Five Spot, which was so it got a huge push behind it, and it did really I remember well. Remember it? Yeah. And then, um, and then I kind of got stuck in the mid list, and for two, three, and even four. And when five came out, it was which was nowhere but home was because it was a totally different book. I had told myself that I was never going to write outside of California or never outside of Pasadena, and this one was essentially you know, um, a failed chef must go to back to her hometown of North Star, Texas, to, and the only job she can get is cooking last meals for the condemned. Um, but I think I had, I had apprenticed enough and I had learned enough in the field um, that I was able to finally write that book because I do think it was beyond my grasp when I first started. And essentially, yes, it's set in a different town, and yes, it's kind of about something that's very dark, or, um, or you think it's going to be dark when actuality it's just about food and family, um, which I think is, for me, I had to kind of figure out what the book was about on top of kind of the big elevator pitch of it. Um, and so I just connected with the characters just like any other book, and then it became uh, something that I was very comfortable with. But it was just beyond my grasp um, for a lot of my career until I finally felt that I could kind of dig into it. Um, but I think it was a small town. It was the, the sisters in it are very, um, are, it was great to write sisters. Um, and I think everybody's been the outsider in a home, in a small town where, you know, you kind of dance with who brung you and yep. who your parents are is then who, how you're seen. And it's never, it's either for bad or good, but it's never something that you actually did. Um, and kind of food as a supplement for caring and family and love and, um, that kind of thing. And I think that's very relatable. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that was, it, it, it was, it was such a 
that was the one where I went to, um, I had friends in Austin, Texas, and I went there for a week. And then I traveled to Smithville, Texas, which was um, um, about an hour outside of Austin and stayed at a bed and breakfast there. And it was amazing. And that's kind of, there's a, there's a place in um, the book called Delfina's, which is a backyard place, which is, you know, uh, only locals go there. Mm-hmm. And on the last night I was there, you know, I had eaten everything and it was just amazing. It was like, come on, you know, you're there for a food book. Give me a break. Right. Um, it was uh, definitely a luxury. But on the final night, I had kind of earned enough cred with the people at the B&B. They're like, okay, we're going to take you to this place. And, it was, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is the best night of my life. And it was, it was, it was a little, it was a little trailer like um, almost like a caravan. And it was, I could never find it again. We walked there and it was like through like alleys and gates and dogs barking. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in like a cozy mystery. Um, And I was walking through and then you walk in and it's just this lady behind the counter um, and just these couple of tables and it was the best, and it was the best meal I've ever had in my entire life. So that was, and that's where Delfina's came from is because I thought, God, this is, this is the, this is the life is being to going to a place where the only locals go in a small town, Texas. And it was just, that's where the, the entire book was born during that trip to Smithville, which was also a little piece of trivia where Hope Floats was, was um, filmed. And so in my little B&B, they had a VCR, of course, and the only VHS tape on the, that you were allowed to play was Hope Floats. Um, <laughs> so, which I'm like in. I was like every night, just put that little VHS thing. Yeah, exactly. Who there are some Hope times when you're traveling and Sandra Bullock is the only thing that's really going to work for you. That's it. That's it. Yep. So, so tell me about Girl Before a Mirror. Now that came out almost a year ago. Yeah, it was actually, no, it was actually at the beginning of this year, wasn't it? My whole life. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, but well, yeah. it was January. So yeah, year. almost a year. Oh yeah. God love me. I was like, what year is it? Um, that was actually born out of me becoming exhausted of trying to defend commercial fiction to people. What? Um, yeah, I know. Um, I can't see why that would ever get tiresome. I, I have no idea. And I knew that it was the first thing that came out of it was I knew after going to several romance novel conventions that I wanted to set a book there. Um, so is this modeled on Romance Writers of America or Romantic Times? Um, it is both. It is awesome. Both. Yeah, it is both. And it's a little even bit of Comic-Con because um, that's the other kind of convention that I go to because I needed to kind of turn up the volume a bit on it. But it, this was back when, remember when RT actually had the pageants for the The Mangent. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I was there for several years of the Mangent. <laughs> it's such a bad word. Yeah. This, I, and they don't do it anymore, but that was such a moment for me to be like, it was, I knew that it was a, it was a, 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 a setting that was just fertile ground. Um, so I set an ad, an ad agent who had to kind of find a cover, a cover model who was then going to become the spokesperson for the shower gel. And it was kind of this whole thing about how when somebody says a product is for women, it is never said in a positive way. It is always very head padding. It is always very... It is not a good thing when you are creating um, um, products for women in a lot of people's eyes. So it was basically taking that entire um, concept to task about how she finally does get to, because she's the same thing. Because she's a woman in an ad agency, she only gets the products for women and she takes it as uh, an insult. And it's condescending. Um, and it's condescending. Much and so, like uh, chick lit and mm-hmm. women's fiction. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're terrible terms for terrible. really good books. Yep. Yep. They're just books, actually. We're just writing books. Um, yes, but and yet we got have vagina to, cooties on them. It does. And then the legs and the whole thing. Oh, I mean, that, and shoes. That's what, do not forget the shoes, shoes. Shoes and little pieces of cake. I mean, I, that's why I knew that I, I can't even. That's why I knew that I had finally kind of done something right. I mean, I had a full, <laughs> I had a full lady on Nowhere But Home. It was a full lady, head and all. I was like, this is, this is this is the high life. This is this is what it feels like, guys, <laughs> to have a full lady on your cover. Um, of course, I you know, Girl Before a Mirror only has shoes on it, but they're cute shoes. So um, they're super cute shoes. They're super cute shoes. But um, so we'll see if I get another full lady in some point in my career. Well, you and got then, three quarters of a lady on more like her. I well, did. I did. I got three, maybe three pairs of legs equals one full lady. I don't know. I don't know what the math is on that, but. Um, I That's think, a really think, good question. Either that, and, or it's like, like, a and yeah, because I got, I had feet on conversations. Yep. I had a, a a half naked lady on seeing me naked because she's 
you because the the original cover for Seeing Me Naked was the two meringues in the side with little cherries coming out that looked like boobs that <laughs> Barnes and Noble said they wouldn't carry because it was too racy. So hilarious. But if you stuck a dog on it, it would have Exactly. Fine. So it turned out to be the one that they were comfortable with was a woman taking her top off was uh, was just fine. Um, but what's so, weird about that cover is that she's taking her top off and she's wearing a top underneath. She is. <laughs> she's like the little Russian nesting doll of tops. Yeah, she's got know. a lot of white shirts on. She must she's spill a lot. Yeah, she's just, well, she is a chef. Um, <laughs> and then Field Guide actually got a little girl, which is kind of a half lady, but she is a full body. So yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm moving on up. I'm getting I'm getting full people. Yep. So you you so girl before a mirror. With mm-hmm. cute shoes and books, which yeah. is like, uh, yeah. that's like the romance novelist, Come on. Ro- yeah. romance novel co- conference siren song, <laughs> cute shoes and books. And we're all like, what? I'm listening. Yeah. In. Yeah. So it is, um, and it's essentially her arc into kind of um, finding the value um, and defining what is important for herself um, and not stop worrying about the whole like you know I think because we're I I just became so exhausted of this is important and this is a thing that's important this is a book that's important this is a band that's important and I kept wanting to go to you like just because the things that you find important are usually heralded by whatever establishment there is doesn't mean that they're important to me or that they're important at all and yes I got it I I don't like it Um, Mm because I think that's the whole kind of head padding thing which is like oh you didn't get it it's like nope I got it no got it didn't like it have a dissenting opinion because how many times do you read those reviews where it's like you know what I read it six times and I finally got through it the last time but I really I'm like you didn't like it you actually didn't like that book and it's okay to say that like Mm -hmm. because I've been in too many book clubs where the women and it's sadly it's women on women which is where they don't you know it's like the idea the joy comes from having read what they feel is an important book and not from actually the, enjoying a, actually the book. enjoying the book. And I think that that became kind of a theme of the book, which is she put an arm's length at all pleasure because yep. it was safer that way. And she received joy out of being somebody who looked like she was important. And so, cause, so that same thread kind of was all the way through it, which is why do we put ourselves at arm's length from pleasure? Why don't you read a book that you actually like? Like, what is so, how is your opinion of yourself so hinging on somebody thinking that you're a smart? Um, I have, uh, I have dropped out of two book clubs like that. Ugh. Like you, you pick a book and then someone suggests something that everyone actually wants to read and yep. everyone in the room goes, oh my gosh, that would be so much fun. Oh no, no, no. We can't do that. We can't do that. We have to do this one. We already decided. I'm yeah. like, yes, but no one actually wants to read that book. Right. Or it's you, a, just wanna, a, you just want to have had read that book. Yeah. It's a posturing but mm-hmm. I also think that as you age and the number in the front of your age goes higher, you get exactly half that many give a shits on your card. So like when you hit 40, your give a shit renewal is two. You have two give a shits for the whole year. It depends though. It depends on which path you've gone down. If you it's are true. really invested in appearances or you are becoming, you are somebody who doesn't, because usually it stems from, I don't. I don't feel important, but if you see this book on my coffee table, you're going to automatically think I'm important whether I think that or not. I stand corrected. Uh, You are totally right about that. Right. So I think if you are somebody who doesn't do the work and who doesn't just like what they like and doesn't have the kind of the cojones to sit there and go like, these are the books I like, these are the movies I like, then you're going to kind of keep, you're going to double down on that. You're going to keep doubling down on that until you become kind of a caricature of that, whether or not, because we've all met women our age who are ridiculous, you know, who meet a lot of people who are ridiculous. Oh my God. Yeah. And and it's not just women, unfortunately. No, it's not. (laughs) But that, that tends to hurt me the most. Cause I'm like that. Cause I'm like, we are sisters in this. What are you doing? You know, like why, why, why are we against each other on this thing? And I think it's the whole kind of myth of scarcity and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, because I did, I quit a book club for the same reason, which was like, who, who suggested this Twinkie of a book? And it was like, okay. Um, and then it was like, uh, I, oh, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I read it in a week, but I hate it. I was like, wait, what? Do you hear yourself? It's like, why don't you get to like a book? You know, why is it a Twinkie of a book? It's enraging. Yeah, it's true. And it's all it it's all tied together in how women police one another. 
Yes. There's a policing of how we're supposed to look, how we're supposed to dress, what we're supposed to do. And you really see that in romance conferences, especially yeah. because it's a single gender community. Yeah. There are a pair of sociologists from the Pacific Northwest, um, uh, Jen Lois and Joanna Gregson, and they study um, in depth through, through a sociological perspective communities of mostly women. So they've studied um, women's prison groups. They've studied young teen moms and homeschooling mothers. And then they they have done like a multi-year study of romance and the romance community. And the way in which they talk about the stigma and how romance writers work together to address the stigma, but the way in which the community is also self-policing is fascinating. Oh my God. I, I need to know everything about that. <laughs> I will send you all yes, the links. Yes, please. Yeah. What, what are their findings? Well, for one thing, the, it is, it is very common in single gender communities that the aspects of that gender are hyper expressed. So if you think about men in a prison, they are super muscular. They are right. super masculine. There's a hypertrophied masculinity. The same is true of women in single gender communities. There's a hypertrophied aspect of femininity. So you see oh, that wow. in romance conferences, like, well, you know, <laughs> one of them, I did a podcast interview with them. I did two actually. And in the second one, um, Joanna was like, yeah, I can't wear my professor clothes to RWA. That's never going to work. Right. And then she's like, I've got like two dresses. I alternate them for each <laughs> each year's Rita awards because I, I'm a professor. I have tenure. Right. I wear jeans all the time. Right. right. And there's a sort of a, a countdown to grooming before the conferences that we were talking about. Like, oh, got to get my eyebrows waxed. Right. Oh, got to get my manicure and my pedicure. You have to dress accordingly. Right. So I can't remember where I read it, but it was there was something about calling it, it performing your gender. That there oh, is, that's a really good description. Yeah, that it's kind of a um, it's a it's a yeah exactly it's a it's a disguise or it's a dress that you put on an armor. Yeah. And what's exactly. interesting is as more people, especially in the romance community, as more more people are comfortable discussing the fluidity of their gender and how yeah. they choose to express their gender there's a lot more um, different appearances oh, that, are, that are welcomed, which totally makes me happy. That gives me all the joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do, I do like a rich, full world. Tell me about, um, <laughs> about Girl Before a Mirror. Um, Girl Before a Mirror is a, is a story of Anna, who is a um, perfectionist um, ad agent who... Um, is trying to make partner and it thinks that this finding this kind of um, landing this account would do it. And so she goes to a romance novel convention to land the top Mr. You know, Mr. Romance um, for the spokesperson of the shower gel that she's trying to do. In the process, what has led her there is a um, kind of a self-help book that's based on romance novels called um, um, be the find. Oh God, find the. It's it's a self help book based on romance novels. I can't remember the title right now. God be the me. heroine, uh, find, find your, your hero. hero. Thank you. And the that that woman becomes kind of a mentor to um, Anna in a way that I hope that Anna becomes a mentor to a young an underling named Sasha who is mm-hmm. kind of very much performing her gender um, at that point. And so it's I like the the different um, generational female relationships in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole time she's trying to, trying to kind of land this um, account, she is also um, falling in love with somebody who is very much um, a complicated man who looks a certain way on the outside and who looks all the romance hero is what I tried to build him as. Um, but of course there's many more layers to that. Um, and in the end, I think she has to kind of find that arc of that creating products for women is actually the highest compliment a woman can have. Being a representative of the female gender is amazing. And I think she finally gets there to the end. Cause I think until then what she wants is she wants to be important. She wants to be, have the car accounts, have the shoe accounts, have the, mm-hmm. you know, Coca-Cola because, that says to everybody else that she's important, whether or not she thinks of herself. Um, and so in the end, she has to kind of find what she finds important, which is embracing her femininity and that that's an important thing. Wow. Dude. Yeah. 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 Because I think it did come out of, and I'm sure you understand this very well, of constantly um, 
uh, rationalizing to other people why I liked the things that I did and why my books aren't just for your wife, why maybe you can read them too. Um, and that I had a real problem with how women had to make that extra stop on the way to publication where it was like, okay, yes, you wrote this novel about a chef who makes Last Field is Condemned, but now you have to stop in the women's fiction room and you don't get to go to just writing books. And that, that enraged me on a, on a daily level. Um, <laughs> so this book came understand. out of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I think just the, the sneering down your nose at, at women who write is, and it just, it just, that, that's where this book was born out of. And there's a lot of sneering because, you know, Ugh. once you stick a woman on something, yep. then it's automatically worthless and mm-hmm. not, yeah. not really worth attention except as some sort of weird outlier. No, and I think there's always, you know, you always, people always talk about how it's like, yeah, this one was actually had some insight and they're always shocked by it, which is, you know, it's, this is, this isn't some like, you know, earth shattering, you know, all that kind of coded language for why this book actually was important. And it's, it's such, it's such, uh, just such a crock. It really is. (laughs) Of of course it's important. Of course this voice needs to be heard. Of Of course this story is important. Women get to be hurt like it's just such a it's such a uh, an absolute um crock it 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 really is and and it's a it's a lie that's been kind of really perpetuated by by those who uh i think like that they get to be part of you know inside the fence rather than outside of it um but it's it's enraging to me absolutely enraging to me so i want to ask you about yes. pop-up video. Oh yeah, yeah. When Another. you tell people about that, do, yeah. does everyone go, "Oh, I love yeah. that show." Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. It was, it, and I loved that show back in the back in the nineties. And I remember having VH1, and and I, you know, we didn't have television as kids. We were like little hippie kids. And whenever <laughs> I used to go over to this, you know, you have that one terrible friend that lives on your block that actually has good TV. That you and then their parents let you watch. Exactly, and you're like, oh my god, I don't care if this person's terrible. I'm watching. You, you have MTV. Um, so <laughs> I would watch, and I. Loved I loved it. I loved it. Um, so when I got the opportunity to work on it, it was it's it was it's amazing, and, and it fit my personality perfectly because I know just so much dumb stuff. <laughs> it was exactly, just dumb stuff and dumb jokes. It was a job tailor made for me. Um, I yeah, miss fun. that show. Yeah. So yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. And what yeah, I loved I, about it was that I was actually thinking about this yesterday um, because you know I have kids who are ten and eight and. <laughs> You're not supposed to curse in right. front of your kids. Right. And like we're moving and our house is Ugh. weird and we have staging furniture, like weird people oh, who match everything live here with us, but we never see them. And oh. like, it's just uncomfortable. And I was like, yeah. kids, you get four curse words a day. Use them yeah, in the house. That's awesome. Extra points for being grammatically correct. But if you that's need awesome. to let rip with a giant F-bomb, it is yeah. okay. Yeah. And so sometimes they make up silly songs because, you know, ass rhymes with a lot of things including gas which is like their favorite thing to talk about because they're boys that's a gimme yeah right but you know i was like remember you go guys 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 you can't curse at school don't curse in front of other parents and i'm like you know this is kind of bullshit because most parents i know the minute you get them away from their kids they're like fuck this noise (laughs) so this is how we really talk and then we put on this sort of sanitized overwhelmingly positive persona in front of our kids sometimes and I'm like dude I don't have that kind of time and the thing about pop-up video is that it was sort of revealing what was actually happening underneath this incredibly glossy staged Mm -hmm. production it was like well this makeup artist hated this girl and painted her face with like something horrible and that that was all done I mean those the researchers are amazing they would talk to people and everything was I mean everything was legit because it had to be one fact had to be um, gone through by three different sources. So you could never just have one source say it. You had to make sure that three different people said it first and. So everything on that show was real. Like it was so, just like, legitimate. Yeah. The rivalry between um, Monica and Brandy. Monica and Brandy. Um, I know who exactly who you're talking about. Yep. <laughs> that was the most yep. amazing thing. She's wearing a real ruby in her belly button. And I'm like, right? what? Yep. Yeah. And it, it makes you, it, it's just all that. That's why I love watching like even like the DVD commentary stuff. It's like, I love knowing oh, all me the behind the stuff. Cause, and it was like, you would hear stories and cause there was like a ton of like when we, cause my, what I tended to be good at was kind of the aging divas, which was what I did. I did a lot of the Madonnas, the Mariahs, um, 
and uh, the Whitney's RIP. Um, and then I did I, one of my one of our favorite videos that I did was the Hillary Duff video, which was the So Yesterday, which was hysterical. Um, and one of the pieces of information we found out on that one was that that was oh god, this is so embarrassing. Um, and we didn't know whether or not we were going to use it. We ended up using it. You could see it in the video was that on the day of the shoot, she had actually started her period for the very first time. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. And that's why she was breaking out. She had tons of acne and all this kind of stuff. And it was just such a tragic story. And we were like, oh, God. Do we? But of course we have to use it because it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a unique story for this thing. And it is so yesterday and the whole thing and all that kind of stuff. But that's the kind of stuff we heard. And it was actually really interesting. Um, and the, the, my last video that I did was the um, Not Ready to Make Nice, which was the Dixie Chicks video. Ugh. And the research on that one was incredible. And that, that one was really, really, really cool to do. Um, I'm glad that was my last one because I don't think I could have done it justice any other time. But What were some of the things that you learned about them and that whole setup in that video? Because that song is very mm-hmm. deep. Yeah, it is. Well, it, I think a lot of it, the, the, the cool stuff was like at some point um, – they were going to before I can't remember what it was, but there was like a God. They were going to set up nooses almost for themselves and hang themselves, and and ah. it, one of them almost got throttled. Like it was a whole thing that there was this, and I think that we couldn't figure it out how to. I think it's in the video a bit that we do pop some of that stuff, but there was a point where they almost literally choked themselves to death because of this this bit they were trying to do, but. Uh-huh. Yeah, but stuff like but most of the stuff was about kind of everything that was going on at the at the time of that video and all that kind of stuff. But um, and how at that time, because um, at the end she's like, "We're still waiting, we're still waiting." And so we kind of used that because the sad part about it was that they didn't make another album after that. Like, no, they, they didn't. That was it. And so it, we kind of used the "we're still waiting, we're still waiting" thing at the end, which is like, you know, um, where's the next album at? Yeah. You know, um, they've all done so. side projects. They have, yeah. Do they yeah, even work together anymore? I know the two, the two, not Natalie Maines, but the two other girls They're are. They're sisters. Yeah, the sisters. They are, they're doing, they have like great music. I can't remember what it is, but their stuff is great. Um, and Natalie Maines, that voice, come on. Um, it's just, that's just a, a great voice. So did you do the pop-up video for Vogue? No, no. And that, I think that was, that was from this, the, the, we were on the, when they brought it back. Um, ah. yeah. So I was, when it came back, um, I guess in 2011, it came back. Um, there are so, very few on YouTube and I am really sad I about this. Why. Cause I love the, the first video I did was Lauren Hill X factor was the first one I did. And then I did, I have a, my love of all loves is nineties R and B. So I did Lauren Hill of X factor. And then I did SWV week, which I loved. Um, <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, oh that my was God. one of my favorites. And we actually talked to um, one of the girls. And so it was just amazing. So even talking to her was just amazing. So, um, and so I got to do a bunch of 90s R&B, which is my dream come true. Um, but Dude, like, it's like we're I, soulmates. I know. And I think what you do at the beginning is you're like, oh, I'm going to, I don't want to, because what happens is you get two videos a week and then you have to sit in this bullpen and you have <laughs> noise reduction headphones on and then you have to proceed to listen to that video, listen to that song for nonstop for every day, all day for two weeks, for a week essentially. And, and then, then you never want to hear that song never again. Hear it again. So you're like, in the beginning, you're like, oh, let me, let me choose a song that I actually like. That way it won't be as bad. And then of course you realize rather quickly that you can't it's easier to make fun of stuff than it is to like actually talk about stuff that you like. Yes. And I made the mistake of choosing the one song that I actually liked besides not ready to make nice was Mumford and Sons. I did the cave, which is actually a really great video. It's like this beautiful video done in India and they're all on like mopeds and all kinds of stuff. And, but they, it was just, it was, I couldn't do it. So I gave, I actually got the Adele rolling in the deep video and I actually gave that away. Cause I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it justice. I can't, I can't make fun of this video. I can't make fun of Adele, so I'm not going to um, – I just gave it up. And then I took in its place a Pussycat Dolls video. It's just, have you it's- seen – there is a video I have to send to you that I love watching if I'm like really <laughs> bummed out. Mm-hmm. So Alicia Keys was giving a performance and then decided that it, it became – I don't know. She didn't decide spontaneously. Clearly all these people were ready. But she did this wonderful salute to 90s R&B. Oh, that's awesome. So first – um, 
SWV came out and then En Vogue came out. Oh my God. I saw this. And I then this. Um, the last two members of T- uh, the, the remaining oh. two members of TLC came out and everyone is like all these incredible performing artists from the nineties are all singing waterfalls. And like, even just oh. thinking about it, my head gets all tingly. Like I See, love I, it so much. I just like, I got goosebumps. It, there's, there's nothing better than nineties R&B. There's oh, it's so good. It's yeah. a lot of my, I, I do the um, ebook sale tweets three times a day and I sort of it's sort I, I think of it as my ebook sale numbers station because it's always 12 30 and 9 30 eastern but we always lead off with a song lyric that's been rewritten to be about ebooks so it's sort of like my version of being a numbers station like here come the b-book sales only it's not a creepy computerized voice it's just a song but I I mine the 90s R&B very deeply for those song lyrics oh, because yeah. I miss it so much I know Spotify actually has a pretty good they have a, a channel that's all just 90s R&B which is, I know. I appreciate very much. Do you know what the yeah. best one is? My favorite? Okay. It's New Jack Swing, which is not technically the same as 90s right. R&B, but right. Tony, Tony, Tony's New Jack Swing in the mm-hmm. background of the refrain, and it is never beeped out in all of the years that I've heard this on the radio. There is a guy in the background who says, <laughs> and you can New Jack Swing on my nuts. <laughs> No, I, I, I can't isolate it. I can't tell you how much I want to have this as my ringtone. Like if somebody texts me and you can do Jack Swing on my nuts. What were they? What were they? Cause I, I just imagine it like the recording studio being like, we just need something. We just need something to fill this out here. You can do like, Jack Swing just, on my nuts. Just Terry, do you have something? It's like I, I, nuts. I, I, I have nuts. Can... I've been working on something all morning. I think I've got it. Yeah. So, so you know, radio stations will bleep out. Um, Nicki Minaj saying her real name, which is Onika, because someone might hear it badly and hear it the wrong way. But this guy in the background's telling you to swing on his nuts, and it's totally fine. <laughs> it's just like if you unpack it for like one minute, that's actually like <laughs> just unpacking that lyric. You're like, why would anybody want anybody to swing on? Let alone New Jack swing on their nuts. <laughs> Now you're gonna listen to that song oh and be like, "Oh my god, I can't wait!" It's can't the wait, only actually. thing you'll be able to hear now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with oh god. with pop up video, and it's yeah. not on it's not on the air anymore. Much to no. my great sadness. Um, was there anything that you wished that you could have said or done or talked about in pop up video that you didn't get to do because you didn't have that third source? God, no, I don't think we did. I think everything that we found out. Got we, on the air. Yeah, we got That's it. That's awesome. Because yeah. um, I remember yeah. you told me once that like you get one good makeup artist who is on set and That's you got it. all yeah. the information you need. Yeah, exactly. And you can usually find two other sources that will back it up if you ask, you know, kind of like you know already. Um, but yeah, it was great. I mean, the one of the big ones that I did was Heartbreak Hotel, which was one of Whitney Houston's last ones. And it was with her, Kelly Price, and Faith Evans. And it was just this, it's a great song. Oh, um, that is a very good yeah, song. It's a, and it's a great video. Um, and so we actually had a bunch of information on that one. And it was even stuff like, you know, how, if, if you know the, the Heartbreak Hotel video, like it, the last shot is like kind of a helicopter shot of Whitney Houston on the, on the, um, the shore. And she's kind of walking in this whole thing. And of course, what we found out was that's not Whitney Houston at all. It's like a, it's a body double and they couldn't, Whitney Houston took the dress with her, so she's just wearing like a, a sheet to <laughs> do it again. And like all of the, there's like a few furs, like the, oh, the girl in the end actually has a fur on, but the only person who got a real fur, of course, was Whitney. And it was like, so like all this kind of great, great information about, um, just about like stuff like that, that we got. And, and from, I think it was a make, I think it was the costume girl actually who talked to us on that one. But, um, so she knew just some great stuff about that, but, um. When you, when you have, because you remember back then, you know, music videos were an Mm -hmm. enormous big deal. Like I remember, I remember in high school, the morning after Michael Jackson's Mm -hmm. um, black or white premiered and they did that thing where people's heads morphed into one another. Like one guy would turn his head and suddenly it was a guy with dreads and then it was Tyra Banks and then it was somebody else. And that was like the most advanced technology We had ever seen everyone on my bus was talking about that the entire ride to school. Right. Well, I remember every single time they talked about like the number one video. It was like Sledgehammer, the Sledgehammer video by Peter Gabriel. 
not, not, not for nothing like aha, like the take on me video, which was all, you know, and there was always the same videos that had totally taken it to another level. But, mm-hmm. and then of course you look at even like money for nothing. Remember like dire straits where they had the, the, the computer, computer guys. Oh, that was hugely I mean, that expensive, was hugely expensive. And you look at it now and it's just, Oh, bless their hearts. You know, <laughs> Just bless their hearts with the little computer guys moving stuff. And- Especially because if you look at AHA, you know a lot of that had to have been hand-drawn. Oh, all of it. You know all of it was, yeah. Because there's no CGI back then. No, no, And none. bless that guy's heart, he can still sing that note. <laughs> like, how I, does that work? That song, never. I never grow tired of that song. I never grow tired of AHA. Oh, Not, no. That, no, take on me, forget it. That's a classic. Oh, That's a classic. we have a massive playlist on, on an old iPod that lives permanently in my husband's car. It's connected <laughs> to the stereo. And the first song is Aha, because it starts with A. <laughs> yeah. And so my kids request it. See? Because it's great. It's a great song. That's a fabulous yeah. song. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I, I honestly miss music videos mm-hmm. because I loved the ones that were, you know, short films that told a story. There's some great ones. I mean, there's some, there's some, there are some great videos actually. Like, oh, I know yeah. that I always look forward to like, there's a band called Lord Huron who has beautiful videos that are these, just these gorgeous kind of like, um, like landscape and running and it just this mm-hmm. beautiful and the songs are gorgeous. And, but I, there's some still, there's some still great videos out there. Um, I know there's just no, there's no, we just, we need a channel. Right? Yeah. We just need yeah. one channel that's devoted to just music videos. Like, what would that be like? I don't know. I mean, I think if you had like a channel like that, that was like just like music television or something. Yes. Like that, oh my god, like, that's the perfect name. Videos. Yeah, exactly. We could have and, them all day. Yeah, and like they would have people like DJs, but like I don't know what you would call them, but something like maybe like video J or VJ or something oh, like that. that was oh, kind that's of, like, a very good yeah, idea. Yeah, they would like you know kind of bring in the new thing. They would have countdowns. I don't know. I, I and you could streaming. do. Dreaming too big at this point. You could do like hours of specialized programming that address like a specific type of thing. Just like, you know, just MTV raps or like metal or whatever. I don't even know. It's just, feels like just a dream, just a bridge too far. You know, I just feel like it's like, that's just a dream, you know, like a fantasy to have like an entire channel for just music. And it used to be like, having a music video was a very big deal. Yeah. I remember learning that um, Carly Jepsen's Call Me Maybe yeah, was made possible in part by a Canadian government grant. They have a That's government crazy. program to help Canadian artists make music videos to compete in the American market. And so at the end of the video, which is all about romance novels, by the way, there's like is five. It, You've never seen this? No, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You must watch the video. It is amazing. It's very, very tongue in cheek. And it's adorable. And it's Call Me Maybe, which who doesn't want to listen to that? Um, there's a wonderful sequence. So with romance, romance, with romance novels in it. There's a bunch of Harlequins in it. What? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Okay, I mean, this is this is one of the very few areas in which I can be like, yeah, I knew about this Beck before. But before <laughs> Justin Bieber tweeted about it and made it a big song, somebody sent it to me as a Friday video from Canada because it was getting a lot of play in Canada. And they were like, look, look, there's Harlequins. There's Harlequins in the video. This is amazing. And I'm like, this is so cute. And it was on the website. Then like three or four months later, I started hearing it on the radio. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Oh, my God. And so at the end, of course, now the dog is digging a hole in the carpet to try to find Mind. It, it, I can't have a podcast without pet noise in some way. And since you're at work, my dog is stepping up to stepping up to the plate. So at the end of the video, there are all these credits for thanking the Canadian government oh for having the, the the grant so that she could make a video and compete in the American market. So it used to be like, it's a government program for God's sake. That's amazing. There's, an, well, there's a music video program. I know the other one of hers, which is I really, really, really like you, which is all Tom Hanks. You've yes. seen that one, right? Which is a delight. Oh, it's adorable. Okay, so I need to see that. I need to see that video. I can't believe you, I actually haven't seen that video. You must see that. A, and then when you're feeling thing. crappy, you need yep. to go watch Alicia Keys bring SWV oh on stage God. and like, because I think it was Chris Brown that remixed or, yeah. or put a song, yeah. and I was like, no, 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 I want the original song. Yeah, I know. I want the first one, which I think is a sample of something else, but I don't care. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't enough SWV. No, there's never enough SWV though. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who that for that for week? If you look, if you th- look back on that video, it's about your fighter versus my fighter. It's like bo- it's like a boxing. It, yep. It's the weirdest video in the entire world, and I have no. It's just, but it's fantastic. Yeah. Nope. Your fighter. It's my fighter. So what are you working on now? Book seven. Book seven is. You go, girl. Um, I know. 
So um, bring that it's dump a, truck full of cash. Yeah, bring right. It yeah. To the um, door. <laughs> um, so um, we're going to announce it um, soon, hopefully, and because it's it's going to be um, a lot of people are going to be very happy about which which book this is. Yay! Um, so uh, I'm very 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 excited about that. I can't wait for it to get done for a lot of reasons. And then um, just working at BuzzFeed scripted and and being around people who I'm. 78 years older than, um, <laughs> I just, I can't, I, I, I don't even, they Do bound, you? they just bound around. <laughs> they just bound around. And you know, I, I'm like, there's like these towers and there's like the stairs and stuff. They don't take fucking, they don't take elevators. They just bound down. This, I'm like, are we really not taking out? There's a stair. They, they're like, That's why take this, just take the stairs. I'm like, oh my God. Like how much energy do you guys have? And where did but, you get it? And can you give me some? Can you give me some? Exactly. So I just, I, I just try to keep up, but, um, yeah, they're adorable, and millennials are actually pretty great. Um, I think so. They're creative and lovely, and they are—they are workers. Their their work ethic is bananas. I get here at nine a.m., and half of them are already here, and half of them are here when I leave at six. Um, so, um, they're, they're, this next generation is—we're going to be okay. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Will, will you come back on the podcast when you've got cool shit going on and BuzzFeed has scripted things and yes. episodes that you've written or airing? You can give us the behind the scenes po- yes. podcast. Right? How cool. <gasps> yes, please. Oh, yes, exactly. Yes, please. Okay, yes. yay. Yay. And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Liza Palmer for talking with me and to BuzzFeed for giving her that rad conference room. If you have questions or suggestions, you are so welcome to email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. The books that we mentioned, along with links to some of the pop-up videos that I was able to find, will be in the podcast entry, also known as the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. This podcast was brought to you by Intermix, publisher of New York Times bestselling author Jennifer Ashley's A Mackenzie Clan Gathering. Return to the tumultuous and passionate world of the Mackenzie Clan as a family celebration is shaken by an unexpected danger. Available November 17th. The podcast transcript this week was sponsored by Jenna Sutton, author of the Riley O'Brien and Company series published by Berkeley and available in print and ebook. The second novel in the series is available for pre-order now and will be released on December 1st. In Coming Apart at the Seams, pro football player Nick Priest is trying to win a second chance with denim heiress Tegan O'Brien. You can read an excerpt at jennasutton.com or connect with Jenna at facebook.com slash jennasuttonauthor or at jsuttonauthor on Twitter. The music you are listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Adeste Fiddles by Deviations Project. This is pretty much the only music collection for the holidays that you need. Or at least that I need because I don't need that much holiday music. This track is The Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, originally composed by Tchaikovsky as part of the Nutcracker Suite and made way more awesome by Deviations Project because that's apparently what they do. Future podcasts will include many discussions about romance novels because that's what we do here. But in the meantime, on behalf of Jane and Liza Palmer and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. <laughs>